Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, we've had a day of the French Open that has been almost entirely about the tennis and we are going to dedicate this podcast almost entirely to the tennis. I say almost because there has been one further development in the Naomi Osaka story which I will lead with and we'll get it out of the way and then we'll talk about tennis. I say I say there has been as if uh, day three is past tense. There's actually still loads of tennis going on. Novak Djokovic is on court against Tennis Anger and he's playing the second official night session at the French Open. And we've also got Carlos Suarez Navarro at a set-all against former finalist Sloane Stephen. She's a breakdown in the third, Suarez Navarro. She had the lead in the second set tie break. She kicked the bench as she trudged back for the change of ends after losing that second set. So it's all still happening as the sun sets over Roland Garros. But Matt David... We saw this statement drop midway through the afternoon, a further joint statement from the four Grand Slams on the Naomi Osaka affair. They said, on behalf of the Grand Slams, we wish to offer Naomi Osaka our support and assistance in any way possible as she takes time away from the court. She is an exceptional athlete and we look forward to her return as soon as she deems appropriate. Mental health is a very challenging issue which deserves our utmost attention. It is both complex and personal as what affects one individual does not necessarily affect another. We commend Naomi for sharing in her own words the pressures and anxieties she's feeling, and we empathise with the unique pressures tennis players may face. While players' well-being has always been a priority to the Grand Slams, our intention, together with the WTA, the ATP and the ITF, is to advance mental health and well-being through further actions. Today, as a community, we will continue to improve the player experience at our tournaments, including as it relates to media. Change should come through the lens of maintaining a fair playing field, regardless of ranking or status. Sport requires rules and regulations to ensure that no player has an unfair advantage over another. We intend to work alongside the players, the tours, the media and the broader tennis community to create meaningful improvements. As Grand Slams, we aim to create the stage for the players to achieve the highest accolades in our sport. People that aren't a fan of uh, Catherine Whitaker reading out long wordy statements probably probably not enjoying the tennis podcast this <laughs> they're, week. They're, they? they're probably unsubscribed long ago, Catherine. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'd rather not be doing it either. <laughs> but we are where we are. I hope this is the last day that I, uh, I'm required to do so. What uh, What's our reaction to that statement, David? Well, I think they had to say something absolutely. Uh, of course, after Naomi Osaka announced her withdrawal yesterday, and they find themselves in a real spot. It's very, very difficult to know what the best course of action from here is. I know... There are many people that think that that should have included an apology for the the strength of their words a few days ago and laying out what we described a couple of days ago as a threat and an ultimatum, which was eventually taken up by Osaka in taking a route, one of the two routes she could have done, or one of the few, which was to, to leave the tournament. Um, it's, it's very nuanced, it's very complicated, 
I've wrestled with it night and day over the last few days and tried to consider my own preconceptions of the relationship between players and media and the, the role of press conferences and what my biases will be as a member of the media who's always known only about press conferences happening and being mandatory. That's just the way it's always been for me, hence why I view it as part of the job and why it's in the rules, and that's something that they've touched on in, in that statement. Um, I, I'm very interested to know what they mean by advancing the, the player relationship uh, as it pertains to the media. What 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 have they got in mind? I, I think it does require discussion. I think it does require thinking about self reflection. I mean, geez, I, I'm I'm doing it myself. We've had a lot of emails, and I, you know, it's 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 quite hard to read some of them. But at the same time, I still feel pretty strongly about the things we've talked about to this point, and um, the the course of action from here. I don't know what it what it can be at this stage um i've just been having an interview in which somebody said maybe it's time now for grand slams and tennis generally to just do away with the mandatory nature of press conferences maybe they should be a choice and then that would be fair but but then you'd only speak to winning players inevitably wouldn't you yeah and almost always uh, and and that you you can't tell the stories that way it's it's it is how it is for a reason because we haven't come up with anything better yet um and well like i say i'm open to to thinking about it because i don't i don't know it at all and i don't think we should all assume that we know it all but um yeah it's it remains a bit of a mystery to me going forwards but we'll see matt just my reaction to that statement today i did i did feel like it was a little bit too late given their action with that quite inflammatory statement they put out a couple of days ago, uh, which in my opinion was the worst thing to happen in this whole situation, um, unnecessarily inflammatory to a situation which might have cooled down. And I think there probably should have been some acknowledgement of that in the statement today, personally. And yeah, I, I do find the point at the end of the statement about fairness to be hypocritical as well. I don't think you can just put that in a statement if you're not examining that. You know, Grand Slams are unfair. We're in a year now where some players have been able to take bigger entourages than others. There are inequalities across Grand Slams, and I think just putting that sweeping statement about fairness out was slightly lacking in, in nuance as well. Mm, it felt like a, an easy boy to grasp for, didn't it? Fairness is a sort of mm. a a hook to pin their outrage outrage on. I, I mean, yeah, the the fairness issue for me was a. You know, I I, st I still don't think that original statement was worded brilliantly. We don't need to go over that again. Um, but uh, yeah, the the the, the statement that the uh, Grand Slam spit out that I agree with you was was the single biggest misstep in the whole thing, the most inflammatory move. Um, that all it all hinged seemingly on the unfairness of it all, and the unfair advantage she was gaining, and that feels like a footnote. And even at the time, it felt like a footnote in the whole thing. So, ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's not the end of it. Is it? I'm interested, as David says, to know constructively what this sort of dialogue about change might sound like and what the change might end up looking like. And I certainly ho hope Naomi Osaka feels strong enough to be a part of that dialogue in the future. Um, but I also hope that's the last we hear of it, this tournament. You know, she's she's taken some time away from the court. She She wants to distance herself from it. I'm not sure there's much more for the tournament or anybody else to say. It's a sorry, sad episode. We'll all learn from it. And let's talk about tennis. Yeah, yeah. Happy to talk about tennis? Yeah. Have we forgotten how to talk well, about I tennis? Well, I tell you, I, I've, 
I've just really enjoyed a lot of the tennis today. So uh, I What have you enjoyed, David? I don't know. Tell it, us it, about it. I can't really grasp onto one specific match as such. There there have been a series of moments that have just made me really enjoy the sport. I, I think Gael Monfils's victory um against Albert Ramos Vinolas where where it looked unlikely to be honest and just to see the the kind of childlike look in his eye at the end of it all the the reason that he played the sport in the beginning was all you always got the sense that he was there to entertain and there to to feel these inspirational moments where there's a crowd and get that engagement and with all the lack of engagement we've had of that type over the last year and a half that was just food for the soul really um but there were many others right at the start of the day there was a bit of Fiona Ferro action uh, in Roland Garros which I always love that's another player that we got to know in October or when the tennis returned and and the crowd were were engaging in her match and she came back from it from a tricky position to win and there've just been loads and loads of matches like that where I don't feel like you would build a whole podcast around or you would build a whole conversation and and think that that was the one but there were just lots of little bits that make up a grand slam early rounds day yeah, we're definitely not going to build a whole podcast around Fiona Ferro because I've made n- no notes about that at all other than that she she won. So unless you've you've got some great illustrative detail for us on that front, David, we'll we'll have to move swiftly on. Uh but perhaps perhaps we shall dwell, dwell for a moment on Gaelmon Fees. Um because for it, his match with Albert Ramos Vinyas, not the match of the day. Good match, I thought drama filled. Um spectacular filled um but it was certainly the moment of the day Gamorfis's victory his salute to the crowd his intense emotion this this recognition writ large on a face of everything that that he and the world has been through over the past 12 or 16 months I know that sounds terribly grandiose but somehow Gaelman Feast has this way of carrying that level of humanity and emotion about him doesn't he and, and that moment did seem to to sum an awful lot of things up totally it felt it felt symbolic and his family were there it was the first time he was playing in front of his parents both of them for a long, long time. He said, I think I think my auntie's here, maybe some cousins. So just they were all watching him and and Alina Svitolina, who'd won earlier on in the day, made her way over to the court to watch as well. And yeah, just really, really great scenes on Match Point because he has been, you know, a, a, a showman with no show and it's been difficult to watch Monfils over these last few months, and I've really, really felt for him. But I, I did see a little improvement in Rome where he pushed Sonigo, who would obviously go on to have a brilliant tournament himself. And I thought, OK, his form is starting to come back. There was a bit of an atmosphere in Rome, and this atmosphere today, it felt much fuller than it was. It was it was really, they were, they were with him, and it, it was an unlikely victory because he lost the first set handily and was making loads of errors and it almost went to break down at the start of the second managed to find some spark to get him into the match and once he was in it he was really in it and he was locked in for the duration and yeah it was a reminder of just how good a tennis player he is he's got gear changes and injections of pace and he can take your breath away at times and he and he did that today so great for him and also you know I was I was a bit of a Monfils fan today. I'd I'd picked him in the predictions, and I tell you, being a Monfils fan is stressful. The fluctuations <laughs> are so dramatic. I wonder what you were going to say. I thought you were going to say being a Monfils fan is just great. You should try it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it is great, but oh, exhausting. You've got to be prepared to go with him, ups and downs. And he was feeling it physically, hunched over quite a lot in the in the hot sun. But yeah, just. As you said, moment of the day, I think, Monfils winning. Up to you, Matt, whether you continue to go with it, but he's got Mikhail Immer next. He could go on a little run. He might. He could go on a little Roland Garros run. He'd probably be the favourite in that match that'll now, be, wouldn't That'll you be a watchable match, that one. Yeah, I've got a feeling that Immer will be quite a good foil for Monfils. He, he, he plays like a little bit of a Djokovic light, does Immer. He's got very good movement, good ground strokes, but 
if Monfils is on, I think he could turn it into a show. And the, if there's a crowd really going for it, I think we could have something special there. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm mm. gonna, I, I might try and see if I can vie for Monfils's uh, support in the uh, in the next round of the predictions. I don't, I don't think places are numbers. I think he welcomes all comers. That's true. Yeah. Uh, let's stick with the men's draw then, seeing as we've gone down uh, a Monfils rabbit hole. The 13-time champion and defending champion Rafael Nadal won in straight sets today, but probably should have dropped a set against Alexi Popperin, the 21-year-old Australian. I've written here, Matt, that Popperin choked when serving or attempting to serve for the third set. Is that unfair? No, absolutely not. And he used that term himself in his press conference. He said, I choked. Straight up, he had two set points, I think, when he was serving for it. On one of them, he hit a double fault. And on another one, he hit a smash long. And then two more forehand misses in the game. And it was back on serve and his chance was gone. You know, you you get... If you're lucky or if you're playing really well, as he was, you get a chance against these top players, especially against Nadal at Roland Garros. And it's a credit to him that he got himself in that position. He was he was brilliant, I thought, in that third set, Popperin. He's got so many weapons that can harm Nadal. N- Nadal had some very generous words about Popperin, didn't he? And there was definitely, I know uh, Nadal is generous about opponents, but there was definitely something about the way he heaped praise on Popperin and the weight of his shots Mm. that that showed he was clearly particularly impressed, I thought. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Nadal really rates Popperin's game and basically says it's all about his attitude now, whether he makes it right to the top, because as far as Nadal's concerned, he's got the game. Um... And, and there was a little bit of aggro as well. I mean, it was it was very light aggro, I should say. I don't want to build it up. But it, it, it just reminded me of uh, that quote that Popperin gave ahead of their match in Madrid, that he was going to try and play like Soddling. And part of what made Soddling so effective against Nadal was that he was prepared to... Get in his kitchen. Get in his kitchen, <laughs> exactly. Make some scrambled eggs. I think it's scramble his eggs. <laughs> Throw some hot sauce on there. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't standing for Nadal taking time between returns. You know, he wanted to play at his own pace on serve, I think. And they and they got into a bit of a argument about that at, at a change of ends. I actually think it slightly backfired and it sort of slightly got Nadal going again in that third set. It's so often backfires, yes, doesn't it? it does. I think Just it worked once for Robin Marinko Matosovic, <laughs> yes. who I think did the kicking over of water bottles, yes, didn't he? I think he did. Mm. But I think, you know, as much as he was tested, I think this was a good, a good match for Nadal. I thought he played pretty well. He spoke about how much more he loves the conditions in the in the Paris springtime compared to last year. He's not he's not worried about getting injured which was what he said was, was on his mind at Roland Garros last year. Um, I think this, this match is a perfect opener for him, especially given that he escaped in that third set and got it done in straights. He'll play Richard Gasquet now, who won the Battle of the Gases. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one gave me anything better, so that's what it is. And we won't dwell on that because it was a stinker. Hugo Gaston, who gave us who gave us so much at the French Open last year, was comprehensively outplayed by his countryman Gasquet. So it'll be Gasquet Nadal in round two. If- Sixteen and O head to head for Nadal. How many? Ooh. Sixteen and O. I think Gasquet might have beaten him at the Putizal or something like that when they were younger, and has never won since. And yet, and yet yeah. they came along at the same time mm. as fifteen-year-olds. Mm. And there is some baggage. I know, I know in two days time, we're going to hear the nobody beats, uh, nobody beats Richard Gasquet 17 times in a row. We're going to hear that several times. We all need to brace ourselves for it. But there comes a point, I think particularly if you're Richard Gasquet, where baggage is insurmountable. Yes. Does anybody disagree? No. 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 
no. Okay. I was, uh, uh, yes, as I was saying, if there is such a thing as the movement, today was a bad day for it. Hmm. Remind us about the movement, David. Yeah, the, the movement refers to something a, a former colleague of mine at the ATP once said after <laughs> Albert Costa had had the temerity to beat Juan Carlos Ferrero <laughs> in the final of the French Open uh, about 17 years ago when the ATP were running a massive marketing campaign called New Balls, Please! And uh, they'd got a big poster of Marit Safin and Leighton Hewitt and one Carl Freire and some bloke called Roger Federer, who was about nineteen at the time, and um, and they actually wasn't wasn't seventy. It was a, it was twenty years ago uh, that, that they started this campaign, and then yeah, Ferrero lost to Albert Costa, um, who was very much not the future of, the, of tennis as as far as the ATP were concerned at that <laughs> point, and uh, he, well, he just sort of shuffled over to me and he goes. This is not good for the movement. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story so much. Today's Albert Costa is Jan Leonard Struff and Andrea Seppi. Yes. Because they respectively have beaten Andre Rublev in five sets and Felix Auger-Aliassim in four sets. Two, Two quite different losses, I think. I think for Rublev... I mean, it's obviously a massive disappointment, but slightly one, slightly more one to take on the chin, I think. I mean, Struff is Struff is a tough draw. He was brilliant first round of the French Open. He was brilliant. He's he's like Vavrinka light, except not that light. And he's tall, and he was serving and volleying. He was all that Rublev could handle and more. You know, I don't think Rublev played that badly, but I think he is vulnerable against somebody very physical bigger than him who's prepared to come forward like that and who has a really good day and and I mean look I even at two sets to love I thought Rublev would come back and win because and I mean he got back to two sets all I thought he would just outlast Struff I think there I often think with a player like him there's a there's a finite length of time that you can play like that sort of lights out tennis he's got a really big forehand stuff that i don't think we, i don't think you really think about that as but you think of his big serve and his volleys and the size of him but he's got he's got a proper 21st century forehand real whip and top spin on it and lashes at the ball and he clearly decided he'd got to just go for it um keep round his short if he needed to but i still thought ultimately rub level probably just be too consistent for him over the over the period and and great credit to him that it went back to two sets all and Struff still got the win um but yeah i agree i mean the the ogiali match against seppi did you say seppi mm. i mean that's a terrible loss and no disrespect to seppi meant by that it sounds it is quite disrespectful horrendously disrespectful i know but hasn't he not won a match for like seven <laughs> months or something I mean, I'm sorry. October last year. That should not happen. No. Agreed. He's never won a Roland Garros match. Look, I know he's only about four years old. I know stats like that aren't that meaningful when you're as young as Felix Auger Eliassim is. But he should be doing a bit better than this. He shouldn't be losing to Andrea Seppi. And I, I, I suspect Uncle Tony might be for the door either by his own choosing i mean he might not want to be associated with you know his his coaching record is as good as a a coaching record can ever be it's a hundred percent untarnished he bowed out on a high he is you know slowly slightly tarnishing it with felix algerolissim isn't he at the moment and i don't know how algerolissim feels about it but it's obviously not clicking right now it's a question of how long do you give it to bed in yeah four wins six losses on the clay this season for Orgelia seem and all of that period encompasses the time with not his uncle Tony I decided to call him on Twitter today um <laughs> you know uncle works. of mine mate and that's that's what he'll be saying tonight yeah no it's it's strange Orgelia seems game doesn't appear to have developed in the way I 
thought it would and and it might still but it it hasn't happened yet and I think he's been on the tour long enough now that players have figured him out perhaps mm. and he looks very frustrated doesn't he 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 does he cuts quite a dejected figure considering how how positive his body language is and he's got this posture that is sort of everything about it is forward looking and upward looking this very positive looking posture somehow he, he there's something quite frustrated and dejected looking about him at the moment mm. and it's just alarming how many errors he makes you know I, I feel like he should be just way more solid than he is you know I'm, I always go back to David describing Sitsipas and Sitsipas takes big cuts at the ball but you're confident he's going to make it there's just there's there's safety in those shots with Auger Aliassime he could hit it for a winner. He could frame it out the court, and I'm I'm not sure he knows what's coming next. There's for a guy who, as you said, looks like he's in control and poised. His game is quite dramatically out of control a lot of the time. It's like he's playing in altitude all the time, and and he's playing with a really light racket that you know c- can can do incredible things, but he hasn't fully got the control over it. Mm. Struff, by the way, is coming for Kane Shakuri's five-set king status. Wow. He's won his last seven. Wow. That's quite something. It is. I did yeah. not know that when I was making my, I think, rub level winners. <laughs> <laughs> At every step of the way, David said, nah, rub has got this. <laughs> every step of the way. Um, David's just a big believer in the movement. You know, he's got swept up in the movement, can't see the wood for the trees. Um, do we include Matteo Berrettini in the movement? He's a bit older, isn't he? I think if you were... He's 25. If if you were a movement member and you were desperately searching around, you might you might but grasp I, I, at the straw that is Matteo Berrettini because he was very, very good today. I think Matteo mostly. Berrettini is the sort of teen actor that's actually 27. Um and you, you know the the playing the playing an eighteen year old in all these films, but actually they're twenty seven, um, and so I think he can get away with it. And and because he's still new, he's he's James Vanderbilt. Yeah, he had yeah. his breakthrough a bit later than some of the other child actors. You know, so he's um, he it's okay. He still feels quite fresh to me. And I think he, I think because he's had another move in the last six months because he had his breakthrough moment. Then he had a quieter time obviously we've had a pandemic in the middle of it and uh and he's come out of that and i i don't know i just i i think i feel really optimistic for matteo barrettini because he can play on anything that's not that common that a player looks pretty much as confident on all the surfaces and um yeah, I mean, I, I did. I saw the first set of his match against Tara Daniel today, and crikey! I mean, Daniel makes that, that wouldn't have taken much time out of your day, yeah, David. Twenty-five minutes to be precise. Six love. Tara Daniel looks like Andre Rublev having pumped iron, <laughs> um, and uh, he, 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 and yet he managed to win the third set. So I don't know quite how he did that, but Berrettini, I think, is going to go far in this draw. Mm, yeah, I think so. I think we've all got him in our quarters. Haven't mm. we? I think we've all got him beating Federer, perhaps in the fourth round. Um, just wrapping up the men's draws, as we talked to you, Djokovic is a set and a break up on Tennis Sangren, although Sangren does have a break back point. It's looked pretty comfortable up to this point, though. Uh, Karatsev won today. He could be a beneficiary of Rublev, Rublev's loss. He He's in the Rublev section. He looked really good. The draw, yeah. He did. Speaking of kind of physical colossus, I. <laughs> <laughs> Very um, funny line from him as well in his press conference. He beat this guy, Jensen Brooksby, who's been winning on the Challenger Tour. And he was asked, Karatsev, what he, what he thought of Brooksby and what he made of him. And he said, oh, I, I don't know who he is, but I know he's been winning a lot on the Challenger Tour. And I just thought, that's how everyone was talking about Karatsev just <laughs> just a few months ago. Don't know who this guy is. Did, did, did he say lot. that knowing knowingly? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> he he looks more and more like Stan Wawrinka in terms of his presence at a Grand Slam at a big tournament than ever. 
You know, he just looks like he's just a bulldozer out to out yeah, to get you. He looks. I I don't think Brooksby played badly. He had no say in that match. Really, there's nothing he could do. Um, Karasev is just physically superior, and his shots go through the court in a way that I don't know what you can do about them when he's on. Really, it takes a heck of a performance to stop Aslan Karatsev in 2021. Mm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right then, on to the women's draw. Ash Barty is through to the second round, but she survived quite the scare. Six four three six six two for her over Bernarda Perra. She had a significant amount of strapping on her left thigh and was clearly hampered, I thought, in her movement. I mean, Perra was great, great today up until the latter stages, and and can be really great. You know, I think I think all three of us, three of us, have have seen her put in really impressive performances in the past and it was no great surprise to any of us that that she showed up for that match on Chatrier today but you know Barty's class showed through in the end but she did say afterwards that her left hip had flared up over the weekend this is from the WTA insider these quotes Uh, she said I'm not going to hide behind the fact that I'm not quite 100% but I can guarantee that I will go out there with the right attitude every day and be accepting of that and give it a crack no matter what it's going to be tough now without a doubt those those aren't confident quotes no. right there. This is this is a serious one. I, I wouldn't have had her winning this tournament, which I do have, had her known that. Me too. Um, because mm. I just think... Why couldn't she have said it a couple of days ago? <laughs> that type of injury is horrible to think of on a clay court where you're sliding into balls out wide and you've got to stop and turn and come back. I mean... She's an exceptional athlete. I hope I hope it's not too serious. I hope it settles down. But she didn't look particularly comfortable out there today. Uh, against a very tricky opponent. Mm, she plays Magda Lynette next. Um, also on the women's draw, some, some really sad and disappointing, but also desperately ironic news that Petra Gavitovas had to withdraw from the tournament ahead of her second round match. This was the quote that accompanied Petra Kvitova's withdrawal. During my post-match press requirements on Sunday, I fell and hurt my ankle. Unfortunately, after an MRI and much discussion with my team, I've made the tough decision that it would be unwise to play on it. So Elena Vesnina is handed the walkover through to round number three. 
I mean, it's a, it's not a good week for fans of the old uh, post-match press conference. This was the moment of the day where I just thought, can we start this tournament again? <laughs> <laughs> Who's writing this yeah. script? I'm, this is not funny Poor anymore. Poor Petra Kvitova. She'd, she didn't want to be a part of the farce any more than we we wanted the farce. Um yeah, couldn't make it up. Such a shame for for Kvitova having battled through that opening opening match. Um, can't quite remember who against, but it was tricky. Imagine wasn't it? that you, really... you do all that effort to win your match, and then you yeah. injure yourself. I think Mike Dixon reported injured herself stepping off the 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 step of a TV studio and twisted her ankle out mm. of the tournament. Mm. It was it was great minnen. In, oh, in yes. round one, who who had a match point? Yes, crikey! Well, she, blooming heck, I get bet she's annoyed. I bet she is. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's there's there's bad news for everybody, apart from Elena Vesnina, who's three <laughs> three to round three of a slam, um, in her comeback. That's uh, that's a good story right there. Um, Venus Williams lost today, six three six one to Ekaterina Alexandrova, but she also won the internet uh, with the following quotes that are doing the rounds. Um, she was asked She was asked about, about the Nomi Osaka issue, the post-match press conferences. She was asked, how did you cope with it throughout your career? And did you sometimes feel that you had to do unnecessary efforts? Venus Williams responded thus, for me personally... How I deal with it was that I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. So no matter what you say or what you write, you'll never light a candle to me. So that's how I deal with it. But each person deals with it differently. (laughs) Um, I mean, Venus Williams is the absolute embodiment of painting your nails emoji, isn't she? It's, (laughs) It's such a great energy. And uh, I, I, lo- I love it. I mean, yeah, I don't. We don't need to drill down into the detail of kind of the logic behind what she's saying as a coping mechanism. I think that's that's just genius from Venus Williams. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> what can you yeah. say? She's uh, she's a queen. Can, can, um, can I just say, Carlos Suarez Navarro's Roland Garros career has just ended. Uh, at the hands of Sloane Stevens, beaten in three sets. She was absolutely brilliant. Three one up, she was in a setup. A three one up in the tiebreak in the second set, and um, lovely scene at the end with Sloane Stevens giving her a big hug. That is absolutely incredible from Carlos Suarez Navarro after months of chemotherapy to to come back and play like that and push Sloane Stevens playing really really well. I'm I'm in awe of what she's just done. And uh, it, it was a performance that, that didn't deserve to take place in front of no fans after the curfew had come in. Why they couldn't have scheduled that early on in the day to ensure that there were people there to see that, I, I don't really know. And, you know, no, no ceremony for her either seems, seems a real shame. Um, I thought they were both brilliant. I thought it was a great match. That, that so much elegance in one tennis match. And and great to see Sloane Stevens getting gritty in a fight. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. Actually, though, you, you know, we were talking about earlier on with Monfils and Imer. Some some matchups allow a player to show everything they've got, and those two players got to show what mm. they're all about on a clay court. The pictures they can paint on a on a clay court with their angles and their style and their movements and the top spin and. Um, yeah, I, I do think that Stevens, a resurgent Stevens, would be great news, wouldn't it, to add to the oh. the mix of what we've got already in in women's tennis. Totally. I'm just watching Carlos Suarez Navarro leave the empty uh, Simone Mathieu court, which is just a desperate shame that there's no crowd there. That there wasn't, there was barely any crowd, I think, there to greet her onto court because it was just before sort of curfew curfew time and now it is completely empty as she trudges off and waves to the camera but 
goodness me, absolutely, I am here for Sloane Stevens being Sloane Stevens again. And I think all of tennis would be as well because I still think her top level competes with the very best. I, re- I really do. She's She still moves like a Rolls Royce, as Simon once put it on a French Open Daily podcast. And I think of that line every time I see her in full flight. It's just effortless and a joy to watch. Um, we had a win for Jennifer Brady today. Of course we did. Despite... David, you have absolutely no right to make that <laughs> comment. David predicted that Anastasia Savastova would beat her today. Oh, yeah, but that was based on an injury I thought that Jennifer Brady had. Turns out, right. turns out she didn't. <laughs> right. She, this was, I mean, look, I've not seen her play much on a clay court because she's not won much on a clay court. Jennifer Brady, she's got this extraordinarily bad record on the surface, but this was by far as well as I've seen her play on clay. She was really making that forehand have an impact. The shape on the ball, the angle she was creating, that forehand looked so damaging today, I thought. And that's kind of what we've all envisaged was possible for Jennifer Brady on clay, I think, but it, but she's had this sort of inexplicable record, but it, it looked really good today against Sevastopol and none of the, none of the junking, junking really worked from, uh, from the Latvian. So David, you're now going to pick Brady for the title from this point in? Well, I'll give it some thought, Catherine. Um, okay. Yeah. M- Matt had a chat with her after the match. What did she have to say, Matt? Well, I wanted to ask about why she split with Michael Gessera, her coach who was with her through the most successful period of her career. I think lots of people were quite shocked by that announcement a couple of weeks ago that that partnership had ended. And she said, I felt like basically what I would want or ask from him wouldn't be what he would want to do. It was nothing bad. I just felt like maybe it ran its course and I didn't want to start to disrespect him on court or ignore him, or not listen to what he had to say. So I felt like it was time to just end it before I got to that point. Considering the circumstances, I think it ended pretty well. If I saw him, it wouldn't be awkward or weird or anything. Don't quite know what to make of those quotes. No, I I, I don't either. I, I think the next few months will be really interesting to follow, because they've been results-wise, and look, I, I've don't know her i don't know him i have no idea what their their relationship was like apart from what we see in terms of how she went to germany spent that time there and then got all these amazing results so well let's see she's working with brad stein this week who is someone she knows from the usta tennis relived tennis from tennis relived (laughs) and (laughs) what she said which i thought was very funny was one of the reasons she likes working with him is that she knows him, so she doesn't have to make small talk. Extremely relatable. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I like her. Yeah, that must alleviate a lot of the. St- 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 I mean, I can imagine if you're if you're worrying about what to chit chat with your coach, mm. you know, when you're not talking about forehands and backhands, that could be a major distraction because they're there all the time, especially in a bubble scenario. There are definitely coach-player relationships where they work really well together when they're on the court and then they're really trying to avoid each other the rest of the time because they really don't have much in common or know what to say or and you've got nowhere to go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think bubbles might be... uh causing it a crashing a crushing end to to some relationships like that i'm not implying that that's what jennifer brady's with michael gesser was like but certainly would put an additional strain on such uh such coaching relationships i think um so that's jennifer brady through to the second round as is alina svitlina 6275 over ocean bubble uh, is svitlina a title contender because a few years ago she was and she's not I don't think playing any worse than she was a few years ago you know when she was winning Rome and coming in as kind of the biggest threat to to Simona Halep and 
yeah, times have changed, the field's improved, but she's not even in the conversation anymore. Is that is that unfair or is this, that just how things are? Look, I, I don't think she is. I, I don't regard her as a title contender and it's up to her to prove that to be wrong um, because there have been way too many instalments of Grand Slams now which she hasn't really made an impact at. I mean, what is it, a couple of semi-finals? in her entire career for a player who's been top five in the world for a lot of that time. Um, she, the, the, the other players raise their levels to a degree that she can't seem to go with at the Grand Slam tournaments. She's become incredibly consistent and accomplished at winning through the first week of a slam. She is very bankable through to the fourth round, possibly even the quarterfinals. But I can't get the Potter Oscar match out of my head from, from last year's French Open. If ever there was a time for Alina Svitolina, it felt like it might be that French Open last year. I mean, as it turned out, I think Igor Sviontek was playing the best tennis in the draw, but Svitolina in the quarterfinals was, you know, kind of the biggest player left with the most pedigree on clay. Um, and as David said, Potter Oscar raised her game and had too much game for Svitolina on that day. And I just think there's always likely to be those players left in the draw in the latter stages. That's mm. it's a, a very good point. We've had uh, wins today for Coco Goff, for Karolina Pliskova and for Ons Jabeur, who beat uh, Yulia Putinseva. Matt, you spoke to her afterwards as well. Friend of the pod, mm. Ons Jabeur. Yeah, I just asked her about clay really because I don't think of her as a clay court player and maybe that's wrong you know she she reached the fourth round at Roland Garros last year one of her best slam results she reached the final in Charleston earlier this year on the green clay so I just sort of asked her what she likes about clay and what she doesn't like and her face lit up and she said I love the sliding Uh, (laughs) you know it it was sort of childlike enthusiasm for for sliding on clay and Actually, she said she does like it because it gives her time. It gives her time to bring out the aspects of her game. I think there are some tennis players who, when they have time, they become worse players. But I think Jabur probably is one who becomes better because she's got options which she can deploy. And, you know, there were so many drop shots in this match today against Putin Saver. And eventually Jabur sort of really took control of that match and just had a bit more power as well. Um I think she's wary of the physicality on the surface. You know, she's she knows matches can get long, can get tough. And I think you have to accept some suffering on clay and it's it's a bit of a mindset. So, you know, I think basically I learned that she likes clay and therefore is someone to track in this tournament because she's the sort of player who, if she finds that top gear, can cause problems to anyone, I think. She's that good when she's playing well. Noted. I, eyes emoji mm. on uh, on Ons Jabeur. Uh, that's your roundup for day three. Novak Djokovic has two set points at 5-4 in the second set as we come to you. So barring a major incident, he is uh, making his way safely through to round number two. Tomorrow's schedule uh, reads thus. Marketa Vondrosheva starts things off on Chatre, former finalist, of course, against Harmony Tan. Great name. Then it's Hatchinov against Nishikori. And then not before 4pm local time, Serena Williams against Mihaela Buzanescu. And then the night session tomorrow night belongs to Tommy Paul and Daniil Medvedev, which I think could be very tasty. Then on long then it's Zverev against Roman Sofiulin, a Russian player. Then Polona Herzog against Caroline Garcia. Uh, then it's Sitsipas against Pedro Martinez and Sasnovich against Sabalenka, all Belarusian clash. And then the match of the day tomorrow, I think, uh, is Towson against Azarenka. That's last up on... No, it's a penultimate match on court Simon Mathieu. You've got Kazakina Bencic on Simon Mathieu. Then you've got Roberto Batiste Rugut and Henry Laxon. And then it's Azarenka Towson. And then Enzo Cuaco against uh, Pablo Carreña Busta. Um, plenty more matches tomorrow as well elsewhere, elsewhere. But that's the that's the best of the bunch on the show courts. We have a mascot 
for the tournament. We have Phoebe and we also have posthumously Lucci as well. So hello, Phoebe, the lovely Corgi. Uh, Billie Jean is looking all fluffy because I gave her a groom today. Uh, that's my next career sorted. I got the scissors out. I got a bit carried away. Um, but I I don't want to toot my own, own horn, but I think I did an excellent Her job. Her mohawk looks uh, superb. She's sponsored by Billie Jean King. Um, Zeus, I let you down today, or rather Donna Vekic let us both down. Uh, Scousel Mousel, Matt, how did did you get on for Scousel? Yeah, I've joined the party. Thanks thanks to Gail Morphys. Thanks to Gail Morphys, lovely. David, Rogue, Jennifer Brady. Anastasia Savastova. It didn't go well. Mm. Uh, Chris Albert Lee's our executive producer, and we have shout outs, Matt. Who are they for? Natalie Price. Right, Natalie. Price is right. <laughs> Nothing further to add. Hello, Natalie. Thanks for your support. <laughs> Alex McClelland. Right, Alex. Ooh. I think I know a McClelland. I don't know if that's a very common name. In Scotland, or maybe that could be. Anyway, hello, Alex. Thanks so much. Like Alex de Minor, he won today. Mm. He did. And Just didn't, a great didn't top. quite make the cut on the agenda. Yeah. Yes. Nice shirt. Nice shirt, and much more affordable than the Lacoste. <laughs> <laughs> but probably still overpriced for a shirt. Anyway, uh, final shout out is for Clarissa Troop, who is the owner of lovely Alfie, who was one of our weekly mascots earlier this year. Lovely Alfie, and uh, Clarissa Explains It All was uh, a great TV show in the 90s. Mm. Thanks, Clarissa. Thank you, Clarissa. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends if they like tennis, even just a passing interest in tennis. It's probably probably worth mentioning it to them. Uh, we'll be back with daily podcasts for the remaining 12 days of the French Open. Don't be so scared, folks. It's, it's only going to get better from here. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you tomorrow. 